Hello, and welcome to this month's episode of Assessment Works, our podcast about assessment and higher education through AALHE. This episode, we'll be talking with our guest, Dr. Natasha Jankowski, about assessment in the time of COVID, video games, self-care, and music. We'll also be going over some other upcoming assessment events, and we'll be previewing some of our cool things that we've discovered this month. So welcome, and enjoy the episode. episode of Assessment Works, Andre and I are going to highlight a cool thing we found interesting or helpful lately. What do you have for us this month, Andre? Awesome. This is what I've been reading. Uh, I don't want to bombard you with too many things, but one of the things I've been reading is a really interesting book called Accreditation on the Edge, which came out from Johns Hopkins Press. And it was edited by Dr. Susan Phillips at SUNY Albany and Dr. Kevin Kisner at Penn State. And there are a bunch of really interesting contributors like Peter Ewell, Paul LeBlanc, and others. And the foreword is by Judith Eaton, the president of Chia. And she has this interesting argument that we're not in an era of traditional accreditation anymore. And the traditional accreditation to her was more focused on continuous improvement. And she argues that we're in an era of new normal accreditation is what she calls it. And this means that Accreditation has new roles, practices, and values, and that the demands from the government and the public have been remaking traditional accreditation. So it's still about continuous improvement, according to her, but it's also more focused on accountability than ever. So it's really good. I recommend it for assessment practitioners. And yeah, what about you, Aaron? What do you have? Assessment-wise, I was reading recently a really helpful article from the Cult of Pedagogy, which I actually found through ALHE's Twitter account. It's called Connecting Students in a Disconnected World, and it was written by Jennifer Gonzalez. It just had a lot of great ideas for creating community in courses that are taught partially or fully online. There's a lot of activities that are just for fun or for building overall engagement, but a lot of the strategies and technologies she talked about can also be used for real-time classroom-based assessment, and I think there's just some really good and practical strategies that are pretty easy to implement that people might be looking for as they're starting to plan their spring semester courses. The article was written for students of all ages, but I think a lot of the ideas are wholly appropriate for a collegiate environment, collegiate students, and collegiate instructors. So we'll put a link to the article in the episode notes and check it out. Today, we're excited to welcome Dr. Natasha Jankowski, Executive Director of NILOA, the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment and Research Associate Professor with the Department of Education Policy, Organization, and Leadership at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, where her main research interests include assessment, organizational evidence use, and evidence-based storytelling. Dr. Jankowski is co-author, along with her NILOA colleagues, of the books Using Evidence of Student Learning to Improve Higher Education and Degrees That Matter, Moving Higher Education to a Learning Systems Paradigm. Her latest publication, Student-Focused Learning and Assessment Involving Students in the Learning Process in Higher Education, was just released in October. So welcome to the podcast, Natasha. 
Thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you. For any of our listeners who might not know, can you give us just a quick little introduction to what NALOA is and what it can offer to assessment professionals? Sure. So the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment, or NALOA, we like to refer to it as a research resource development organization. So we look nationally at how our colleges and universities and those that work within them going about doing the practice and process of assessing student learning. And then we try to turn that into meaningful resources and tools to help inform the work that's unfolding on the ground, but also to provide space to rethink and pause on our practice and our scholarship of the sort of the field of assessing student learning in that space. All of our materials are open access. We are not a member organization. So we are grant funded and we do research and write publications and we put them out and everything can be found on our website, which is learningoutcomesassessment.org. And uh, we do have a newsletter. It goes out once a month, just one one email. We're not adding clutter to, to people's inboxes. So one email a month that has the newest releases and news items and events that are, are related to assessment in that space. So it's a, it's a great go-to resource on getting introduced to assessment, really doing the work of assessment, and then thinking about where do you want to go in your conversation of assessment and where are there opportunities to, to take that scholarship forward. Awesome. And we'll be sure to link to the NALOA website in the show notes for the podcast too. So listen to and find it there. I've got a question for you. So higher education assessment and really the whole world are in a really unique moment in history right now for many reasons, but one of them is the coronavirus. And I'm wondering, what are some of the ways that you've seen the field of assessment and higher education affected? Yeah, that's a great question, Andre. I think we've seen good ways and bad ways that that higher ed has been affected and especially assessment there. Um, We get a lot of conversations with assessment professionals that are just completely stressed out. We get a lot of calls from faculty who were already feeling overworked that now feel overburdened and overworked and, and stretched too thin. We have a lot of people that are really going through and questioning their place and their role within the institution. There's concerns about job security as uh, the pandemic continues and our situation rolls out. And then there are growing concerns, especially in assessment around, do we have what we need to prove compliance? That we have been doing the things that we we need to, and is this going to hold muster in an accreditation report and, and in, that, in that space? And then also concerns about culture damage of if we are forcing reporting and saying, oh, I need to see it in a time when people are overburdened, are we really locking in that the role of assessment is about this compliance reporting? So on the bad side, there's quite a lot. If we're we're making pros and cons lists, there's there's a ton that's going on in that space. But there are some good things that I think we've seen as well, which is depending on sort of how things shifted in in the, the transition to remote and how institutions have been responding, there has been an increase in assessment, an interest in assessment on the part of faculty to say, how do I really do this in meaningful ways online? How can I do this in ways that are supportive and mindful of my students? I had not thought about the connection point of assessment to my teaching and to my classroom and to informing my immediate practice, but I get it now. And, and how can I go through that? And, you know, we need to reimagine our program and our learning outcomes suddenly have meaning. And so on the one hand, we do have these spaces and places that are having a sort of revitalization, one might say, in assessment um, that's really connected to teaching and learning, that's getting great faculty involvement and student interest as assessment is coupled with, with instructional design. 
The other positive I think we're seeing too is a rethinking in student affairs and the relationship with our student affairs partners in assessment of what evidence can we put forward? What does that look like? And that it's not just the job of student affairs to take care of our students, it's all of our job. And if I'm a faculty member who is intersecting with my students online, I might be the point of connection to the entire institution and I can't pass them off on someone else. And so I think um, the opportunity to really take down some of those silos that were organizationally developed in practice, people are getting much closer. And we're actually starting to see some places where student affairs is offering professional development for faculty to, so they know what they need to be doing. So there is a coming together and that like collective reunifying, but also coupled with exhaustion <laughs> and sort of that remembering that it, it really comes from a place of privilege to be able to just do education as a student and to just do your job as a as an employer and not have to care for family, uh, be concerned about money, um, think about do you have your basic needs, uh, educating your child while at home. And so the the finding what are your communities that can actually really speak to your lived experience at this time are, are, are getting a little detached <laughs> and disparate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think overall for assessment, I, I take heart in the, the reimagined connections and that reinforcing of this is how we can make decisions to really advance our future and, and focus on learning. I found at my school, it, it's a pretty small school, so so we have a fairly tight-knit community among uh, faculty and staff, but really going into emergency mode has kind of focused, focused people a lot. It, it's forced yeah. us to, you know, really make explicit these conversations around what do we really need students to get out of our educational experiences and how do, what, what are our highest priorities and how do we ensure that students are getting there, which is, you know, the core of what assessment is, right? And, and I think, I think this lockdown and this sudden shift to new modalities of learning has really forced us to focus on it in a way that really does get to the spirit of, of what assessment can do when we've harnessed its full superpowers, right? I think part of that is, has been creating openings for discussions around, you know, what student-centered assessment looks like and what assessment for social justice looks like as we're kind of simultaneously confronting changes in modality and, you know, the, the pandemic of coronavirus and the pandemic of structural racism in our country all at the same time. So, so how do you think we can kind of keep this momentum that this this terrible situation has created that's allowing us to center the right things, I think, in, in higher education as we go forward and start to return to things as normal eventually. Yes, at some future point. Yes. <laughs> Yet to be determined um, where. No, I, I think that's an incredibly poignant, Erin, and and I appreciate the, the focus in that we're going through this reflection process as a higher education sort of industry, or for lack of a better term, on the realization that our espoused values do not line up with our lived values. And that the actions that we have and our policies and our processes and our practices. And um, so all of these things that we tell ourselves about who we are and how we do our work and why it's important, it's, there's, this is, that's a huge mismatch. And in that going, oh my gosh, if this is what we really care about, why are we not doing these things? And why are we not involving these groups? And why have we not had these conversations is a wonderful coming to terms and dealing with, with that, um, with those issues in that space. And so I, I take heart to, to your question on how do we not 
lose that momentum. And I think what we need to remind ourselves, um, particularly as our assessment practitioner uh, scholars and colleagues that are that are white, is that it's a choice we can make as practitioners to keep it front and center. Like that's a privilege point that we can have to say, I'm going to care about social justice today and do that, but like maybe tomorrow I don't have to. Um, like my white privilege isn't going to go anywhere. I'm not going to run out of, of opportunities to do that. So because we can make that choice, we necessarily have to choose to keep it front and center in our work. And that elevate up that equity work is everyone's work. And if we agree that that's how it is now, to make our espouse values really line up, we have to keep this as the main driver of our work going forward. And for assessment, regardless of how you, you think about it, if we aren't, the students are the ones that show us their learning. They're like, here's my learning. I've demonstrated in this way. And so if we get caught up in the noise around the side, whether it be validity or measures, and these are important, but at the end of it, this, do you get what I'm asking to you? And it's sort of like a, if you show me your, your learning in the woods, but no faculty's there to, to evaluate it, did it happen? Like the equivalent of a tree falling in the woods and no one hears it sort of thing. If our students don't know that we're being, or they're being assessed, are they really showing us their learning or are we assessing something else? And so I think on the one hand, from a practice space, it makes a ton of sense to keep our students front and center in our work and really thinking about, about that space. But from that choice point of racial reckoning and all the things that are going on in our country, choosing that this is our work, this is a task of our profession, this is part of our professional and just being a human responsibility, our colleagues of color do not have that same choice. This is not an option. Um, and so because we have that potential to choose at a time such as this, our personal power is to say, I'm going to focus on it. And I'm going to remind people that we need to focus on it. And I'm going to bring it up so I can lighten that burden from someone else. And they don't always have to be the one that brings it up in, in, a, in, a, in a meeting. But I also don't want to see go away in the, the momentum that really thinking about students in relation to assessment and also assessment for social justice is seeing our students as a whole person, not just when I see you on this one slice of you being a student <laughs> right at this one time when you're in front of me, but to really understand that I need to know what's going on with you as a person to know if you're even ready to learn, if you can engage in learning, um, where you are with that. And that part of educating you is making sure that I know those contextual environmental factors and I'm providing opportunities to get you to that, that learning thing. So it's not just a, the measuring you, but also thinking about what is the role of assessment in that larger student success and environmental so supporting places. It's a shift mentally in how we're looking at and defining our problems. But you know, we all need something to keep us <laughs> entertained and uh, focused on assessment at these times. So it's not, it's not a bad one. And I think there's a lot of good work that we can build on in these space. These are conversations that were starting before the pandemic. They just got ramped up in it. And so I think continuing to say, this is where we need to go as a profession. Part of that is our role as NALOA to say, these are the things that we need to be talking about. ALHE can do it, but like, these are the things that we need to be talking about. These are our conference themes and all of that. And so the ways that we can use our um, positions of power to keep a focus on it, the, the better. A book that just came out on student-centered assessment. So you can also, you know, read that and get clearly everything that you need to know on the topic. <laughs> and I mentioned that in the intro. There's also um, a really um, appropriate occasional paper that Naloa just put out by some of our ALHE colleagues yeah. called There's No Return to Normal harnessing chaos to create our new assessment future. And that's by Rebecca Sihong and Kara Maloney. 
And I, I think that is another resource our listeners can check out on the NALOA website to capitalize on this moment and, and like it says, harness the chaos for, for good and sustained, sustained change. I'm going to ask a follow-up question. What do you think about assessment practitioners setting up conversations about incorporating more end-of-program outcomes that are more equity-focused or more focused on, on change in the world, on thinking about the future? What do you think the role of assessment practitioners is or could be or maybe should be in that area? Well, I think that's a good, these are all great questions. I was going to be like, that's a good question. But all the prior ones have been too. I think we, we can't, because we know that when you make an outcome and we're measuring for it, we drive attention to it and we drive action to it. There is something to be said to say, if we're doing assessment for social justice, how are we not just saying, oh, this program has an equity, diversity, inclusion outcome. Some of our students had diverse experiences, some didn't. Okay, we'll go back and do program reform and instead say, are these particular student groups learning the things that we need to be learning? And that's, we're going to keep an eye on that. We're going to actually set metrics and benchmarks around that. And for the desire to be in strategic planning on the part of assessment professionals and part of budget decisions, there's a great opportunity to draw those attentions to targets in, in that way. And I think if we're having a conversation on critical thinkers that are produced from a program if we admit students into our program, do we have responsibility to every student we admit to try to get them to the critical thinking levels that we want? And I think we can argue, yes, you, you do. If you admitted them, that's a statement of like, I believe you can, you know, give this a go and, and, and try. And what is our responsibility in getting our students there? And so that anything that we can do to help shift that mindset from it's the student's fault to let's look at our structural barriers, let's look at systemic issues within our institutions, let's look at prerequisite criteria and what that means and why that's historically there and what's really going on in these spaces. Um, any ways that we can push those conversations at a program, I think are incredibly beneficial and drawing attention to, you know, even in small programs, it's like if you get two more students of color through your class, like, that's not hard. That's like checking in with two people about their learning and what's going on and um, making it bite-sized in ways that then we can say, okay, how does this roll out in your program outcomes? And so I think absolutely, in, when we think about what are the ways that we can embed assessment for that social justice, that's part of it. It's not simply adding a, a learning outcome about producing, you know, socially just citizens or something that we look later, but how are we being the example for our students and for others by enacting that change ourselves in our program? So yes, I think, I think we should definitely be, be doing that. So everybody, so I talked to so many people, so many assessment practitioners, people are going through so many different things. Some people are losing their jobs. Some people are taking new jobs. Some people are on furlough. And I wanted to take this opportunity to really just ask you about self-care because I'm always impressed by how much you're, you're out there, you're active, you're presenting, you're publishing, you do lots of stuff, it's more than that. And so what are you doing at this moment to take care of yourself? Like what are, what's your self, what are some of the things you do for self-care? Yes, no, that's, that's a great question. And actually, um, you know, spoiler alert for listeners, but they shared some of these questions with me in advance. And um, in case you didn't know, and this one was the hardest for me to answer. Like I ended up getting my whole family into a conversation about like, I was like, what is my self-care? I was like, I'm always telling people to do self-care. It's like literally 
the end of every talk. I'm like, self-care is real. And I'm like putting it in the chat. And then I, you know, wander off and <laughs> disregard my advice. So it was actually a wonderfully self-reflective process for me as a person to go into what am I, what am I doing in, in there? And so it's a couple of things I think that, that came out of that um, from me, which is to take care of myself. It's very important to me to also work. And to be meeting things in works so on one hand, and I know I, I'm going to answer this question in things that I do besides work, but I want to talk about within work because I love this work so much and I take joy in all the conversations on assessment. And I think we need those conversations now more than ever, but we do require a reset of expectations on what can and can't be done and at what cost to ourselves are we getting it done? So it's like, well, I could do that, but should I do that? And, and then the next one that comes along, am I going to be able to like drag myself through that? And, you know, resiliency literature is not going to help you out on this or grit. But so I think having a realization um, individually that we're in a pandemic and whatever emotions you're having are okay and normal for you to have, that's, that's your experience. And you should not fault yourselves for feeling grief or stress or loss or, you know, unproductive and that sometimes it's fine to just stare at a wall and, you know, do nothing or like open your inbox and be like, no, no, not today. Uh, so feel how you feel and don't beat yourself up about it, I think is one main part about, about self-care. I like it. The rest of it though is find things. I think when we got into it as a family, like, what is it? And immediately I have a nine-year-old and he was like, oh, I know when you have like a really rough day. And I said, tell me about this. Like, what is my giveaway? And he was like, you come out and you play Skyrim. And it's totally <laughs> true. So we got him like, well, Santa got him a, a Nintendo Switch a couple years ago. And I will come out and be like, look, I just need like 20 minutes and I'm going to slay some things. <laughs> and then I'll come back and I could like be engaged. And so whatever that mechanism is that you need to do to be present in what you're doing, step away from work, step away from the email. Um, because when we were living where we work, in, in a pandemic time, it's really easy to just have work dribble throughout the entire day. And we have cell phones and people email and there aren't clear boundaries of when, when should you respond? When should you not respond? And so we got into the habit of at the end of the workday, we take a walk, we walk the dogs and it's like the reset of we leave the building mm -hmm. <laughs> that we're all working in and just walk. And then if it's, you know, been a heavy day on stress, we'll try to watch like a comedy special. And like trying to find what's, what do we need to do to, to just reset your brain so that you can be present in what you're doing and not sitting there trying to do dinner, but checking your phone mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and doing all these other things. And then like, oh, making every evening, like a Sunday afternoon where you start like getting prepared for the work week and like yeah. checking out what you're doing. And I think that without monitoring that constant checking it adds to our exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And so I think my biggest thing for me then in, in self-care is to be as present as I can in whatever I'm doing at that moment. And then if that's family time or out of work time, then I have no checking and no thinking about it and like close the door if it's possible to like work in a separate space and step away from it so that um, it doesn't bleed into everything. And I have some 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 bits of separation, but also Skyrim and, and watch The Mandalorian because Baby Yoda is... Self-help. Baby Yoda is self-care. <laughs> <laughs> so those, those, are, those are my self-care pieces. What are, what are you guys doing for self-care? My big pandemic project, my pre-assessment background was in music, but I have very, very small fingers and I've always struggled with 
playing physically playing most instruments because my fingers are not long enough to do yeah. all of the requisite fingerings. Uh, my main instrument is voice, so that's not a problem. But in April, I bought a ukulele and I've been wanting to learn for years and years and years. And uh, I kind of taught myself the basics. And then one of my music ed colleague adult friends has been leading a Zoom group ukulele class of people who are musicians who don't know how to play the ukulele yet. Um, and that's been perfect for, as, as you were saying, being present in whatever you're doing, because since it's such a new undertaking for me, it really does require my whole brain to get all the coordination down. And, and I've, I've been careful as I've been going to sing while I play. So I, I don't get it too um, compartmentalized that I can only do one at a time. And that's been really great for like getting into one of those flow states, right? Where you're, where you're a little challenged, but not too challenged. And you can, it, it really does subsume all of your thoughts in, in what you're doing. So that's, that's been a really great project for the pandemic. Another thing that's been kind of nice is I'm, I'm a single mom. Uh, so I've been at home with my eight-year-old, just the two of us, pretty much since March. And she's wonderful and great, but I, I'm also an extreme extrovert. I, I'm kind of a quiet person, but I really do draw my energy from being with people. Same. So being just <laughs> two of us in our house for months and months on end has been hard. But at the same time, a lot of things that previously I might have needed a babysitter to go and enjoy have been more accessible by going online. Um, so now everybody knows how to use Zoom. I've been having a weekly board game night with a bunch of friends from college where we all hop on Zoom and we do a, some board game or other and catch up. And it's great. We are in more regular contact now than we've been in the last, you know, I don't want to do the math on how long it's been since we graduated college together. But, but it's been a great way to keep in touch with people who there have been these barriers, real or, or imagined, um, of distance that, that putting everything online has helped to break down. So th those are kind of ways that I take care of myself a little bit. Andre? I, I got lots of stuff. But <laughs> I mean, lately, I've been just shutting off social media. And I've really deleted most of the apps off my phone. And I have not been, I've been selective about reading the news. And that's helped me to kind of control uh, my information diet because it's, it's stressful reading about the contested elections and um, oh gosh, yeah. every, everything. Um, it's so it's, it's, that's one of the things that I've been doing, but I've been setting the bar kind of low for myself. If I could do things like go for a walk, that is helpful. This is going to sound really lame, but I think it's really good. I really enjoy and find it very meditative raking leaves. So, <gasps> so true. Yeah. I love like pruning. So like it's the time when all of our plants are starting to, you know, got to like winterize them. I don't know what the term is, but those little pruning shears, that's my jam. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anything like that. <laughs> I find and, the, electric, uh, the electric hedge clipper things. That's like oh. a kind of a mini chainsaw. Oh, I got to try this. Very cathartic. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And then um, the other thing that I've been doing that's with my wife is that we've been fostering dogs since the pandemic started. And today we adopted out our eighth dog, which is kind of crazy. And so uh, it's been really very like, it's been very good for me to do this. And it's also a good practice and sort of letting things go because I tend to get really attached to every dog. 
and today I, I got <laughs> I got attached to this dog and then but we found it a really good home and it's on it, today is Veterans Day and it was to uh, it just happened to be to a vet so I was like happy Veterans Day. Here's a dog. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's dog. a dog. Like have happiness in, yeah. in your house. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, we started playing Battleship again. So okay. like because my nine-year-old was like, hey, let's play games. And, and he's a sucker for Uno and like card uh-huh. games and things. And I was like, we gotta switch this up. <laughs> so now we're like at Battleship and it is, I forgot like how hardcore and very exciting. We do sound effects clearly. <laughs> you do like hits and miss but oh it's been fantastic but yes I, I agree I don't do social media so I've never had a, I don't do Facebook and that sort of things and I have a Twitter account but I use it for like hey here's an assessment resource and here's yeah. this and I don't think to look at it and um, my friends who were like I have to make that choice to just step away from social media at this time um, yeah yeah Ooh. so very very good and very smart, smart approaches. So one thing that I think we're all kind of talking about is how do we find joy in this pandemic, right? And how how do we harness that joy to propel us forward? And one of my favorite parts, uh, we we all, all recently attended the IUPUI Assessment Institute. And Natasha, you gave a talk that started with just a jam session to virtual insanity. Um, and it was one of my favorite parts of the conference because it was it was late on in the week and we were all a little burnt out on Zoom and having just an assessment dance party was really fun. So how how did you come up with the playlist? You, you then also shared a playlist on Spotify with, with everybody there of, of just great tunes. How did you and your colleagues come up with that playlist? What was the behind the scenes? So we have, we've had a running joke, I think for the last four or five years. So I, I used to be a musician and Andre, aren't you in a band? We're going to come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Come back. Yeah. I'm like, we're, I swear. (laughs) And I think it starts with an L or something, but um, but okay, we're good. I'm getting close. All right. So I I used to be a musician and my mom was a, a, a classically trained musician, still teaches private lessons to this day. Like we grew up with music in the house. And so I, when I first like, left my plan was to be I was just going to be a musician because that's what you did and I like started playing violin when I was tiny I don't even remember like not playing violin and of course piano for theory and then I chose trumpet because like when you get into like fifth grade you get to pick and I was like it's brassy and loud but also carries the melodic line like a violin so hey this works and um so I, I went on music performance and I did um music for for quite a while and so it's always been a part of what I do and where I go to find joy and like recharge and, and all these things. And so in in our Naloa office, I would have music playing and it would sort of like, it would signal at the end of a, of a meeting, whatever kind of meeting I would play a song that would set the mood for how that meeting had gone. Or if we were going to go into something, we'd have like, how are we going to get hyped up? And so it was very much um, an an ongoing part of, of working in, in our Naloa office environment together, but now we're all separated. And so, We'd been sending things to each other, but but so several years ago we decided we needed walk-on music for the Naloa track keynote. And each year we have this like what what would the walk-on song be? And and it's and it's just this wonderful sort of, I don't know, coming together as a as a staff community and everybody brings different songs and, and thinks about it. And so this year we were trying to figure out what would be good Zoom entry music. And we were like, we could actually do it because you need to wait for people to come in and it's Wednesday. It's like the last day of the conference. I was like, oh my gosh. And so we started just sharing ideas. Like what would be a good 
Zoom entry song. And so it was like all of these songs that had like classic riffs in it that you were like, we could maybe cut it and do all these things that like get you pumped up to do a keynote. And we we settled on, on virtual insanity because it was just the most appropriate for like the last day of a virtual conference where like 10,000 people had registered and um, and it's also just a fabulous, fabulous song. So we had to, I was like, we need to share the, the playlist of all the, the options of songs <laughs> that, that, that could come out. But um, no, music is a huge, this has always been a huge part of what I do. And I do very strongly believe in the um, ability of music to change your mood and your mindset mm-hmm. and what you're doing. And so um, I have music for writing. It's gotta be like a tempo. Yeah. Gonna, like the, t- the typing that I gotta do. I have data cleaning music, like you guys want like playlists for whatever thing you're doing. You got like, I'm going to make PowerPoint slides. I got that. So I nice <laughs> find, like all those little things that you could just sort of, you know, help you focus, but in a, in a happy, in a happy way. Yeah. Send us, send us like a link and we'll put it in the, um, in the, in the show notes. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. But so Andre. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about this band. Well, okay. So I lived in Chicago for a long time. And I played in a band called Locrian and they were, we started out as being two piece and then we moved into expanded and we got a, a, essentially a drummer who also does a lot of electronics and field recordings. And we have been separated for the last, I guess, since about 2013. Uh, but we are on Relapse Records, which has released a lot of like heavy metal bands like Mastodon, yeah. uh, if anyone's into heavy metal. And so we're kind of a, a very depressing, bleak, um, I, I don't know how to say, it, it, we, we span a number of kind of styles, but I can, I can include the link if anybody wants to listen to it. There's some songs that uh, our, our AALHE community might enjoy. <laughs> yes, no, share it. And I love it. So you guys were like 2013, did you have to take a break? Cause it was like, this is too depressing. And we got to like recharge so we can come <laughs> back together and make music again. Or... <laughs> well, we're, we're working remotely right now on demoing oh, ideas. No. So that's really fun. Uh, but the last time we really toured was in um, early 2016. We went to Europe and, and did like a, a two week tour there. And that was really fun. And that was after we re- released an album called Infinite Disillusion. And since I guess since about 2015 2016 I've really slowed down on releasing music because it's it's been like intentional that I've really slowed down um, because there was a period where um, I was releasing like an album or uh, some kind of musical output like every week or every month and it was it was a little bit much that's intense yeah yeah it was intense (laughs) so it was intentionally that I slowed down and um, tried to center myself and now we're working on new music and that's exciting but the first thing we're working on is we did um, a cover song of this band Coil that we never recorded and we're working on figuring out how we played it um, so that we can record it when uh, properly in a studio at some point point. and the, the benefit of the studio is I can have like loud amplifiers and there's something you can't really emulate online yeah, when your body vibrates from <laughs> yeah when your body vibrates <laughs> <laughs> from the sound. that's fantastic Aaron, and i have to say Aaron, that um i've been really surprised by the amount of assessment people that are also like oh and i play stuff and like i play the clarinet and they're like i'm like a but there's some who was it that's like a piccolo trumpet player like that's like a very particular like you're like no like not like i play the trumpet like no no no, no. my jam is the piccolo trumpet so i am delighted to hear you picking up the the ukulele and, yes and getting into that and i feel like there's an opportunity to get a community 
together to make some some beautiful assessment music. Assessment so jam should, band. We should do it. Yes. <laughs> it can be therapeutic for everyone. So. Absolutely. I think it's interesting that so many of us do come from a kind of creative background. And, and I think what it comes down to is the root of assessment as a creative practice, right? I think a lot of people looking on the outside of assessment, think of it as like this very nerdy and very systematic thing. But especially in higher ed, I've really enjoyed the creative aspect of assessment and how you can kind of co-construct with a bunch of people what your learning priorities are and how you want to help, how you want to meet them. And I do find that that hits the same kind of creative place in my soul as music does um, in a very different way, of course. But I, I, I wonder if kind of the creative aspect of the field is something that ultimately draws lots of creative people from, from other creative fields to assessment. Yeah, I don't know. I love it. And I and I do think that, that there is a creative piece of how do we capture this? What would it look like? Where, where are we going in this space? But also that ensemble play sort of um, a, a approach to we have to work collectively to make this beautiful music and have yeah. it sound in this way. And so and I can't be louder than you or come in at the wrong time. And, you know, it's going to sound off. And so how can we... Um, as an assessment person, you sit at that intersection and navigating all of those roles. And so I also wonder if there's there's some of those ensembles. Somebody once told me that um, assessment is like the tuba because you sure notice when it's not there. <laughs> but if it's doing its job right, you're like, nobody's like, oh wow, that tuba's rocking it right now. Um, but when it's not there, you're like, wait a minute. And I feel there's there's some truth to that, I think. But yes, we sh there should be definitely an, an intersection uh, focused on like assessment and music metaphors oh. and <laughs> exploration. I think there's there's an there's an opportunity here to get our creative juices flowing on on connection points. I think definitely assessment has felt like more like jazz lately. Like it was very it's got to be iterative and it's got to be intuitive and you've just you just got to uh, pick your approach and go with it. And if it doesn't work, then yeah repeat it that's well that's that's what i <laughs> maybe or maybe don't repeat it if it's not just working call it key changes as it's going on like we're yeah. going to this meeting. Like, this is <laughs> one one i think the person who's going to be one of our next guests dr gina polychronopoulos uh is yeah. also herself a musician in the background and and in her background and she's done a lot of research into who assessment practitioners are and what all the different paths are. So be on the lookout. I think in our next episode, that's who we're going to be interviewing and talking about who assessment professionals are and the path that they've taken to get there. So, And an incredibly poignant and timely conversation now as we're talking about all of this self-reflection and do our values line up and how, where do we fit within the intersection and how is creativity a part of our professional competency mm -hmm. set? Um, and so getting into to what, what those are and can that be one person? Can we have an office of one that can yeah. do all of these things or do we necessarily need to, to think differently about that? I think that's, that's wonderful. And Gina's doing great work. So listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the last question, I'm glad that we've talked so much about, uh, we've kind of talked about some fun things today. But what is your favorite thing that you're working on right now? And if you don't have a favorite thing, then what's just something that you're excited about that you're working on right now? Um, if you could pick one thing. Sure. So 
Yeah, I think part of the joy of working at Naloa is that we get involved in so many different assessment related conversations at one time. So there's always so much going on. Um, and I am the type of person that I'm like, all of it's super important. <laughs> and all of it should be happening. So so that's, that's, that's a bit, but I think at the moment I'm in writing mode. Uh, so we got the student book out and that's, that's fantastic, but we're working on um, an edited volume on equity and assessment um, that will come out next year from, from Stylus. And it's bringing together all of these different authors who have been talking about equity and assessment and been thinking about it. And so I've had a wonderful time reading each of the, the author's perspectives that they're bringing to this conversation and thinking about this space that has really opened up for truly innovative practice and scholarship and, and trying to figure out how do we recapture that in meaningful ways without bounding it and then also opening it at, at, for, for future dialogue for people. And so I think that has to be my, my favorite right now, probably because it's taking the most of my attention <laughs> at, at the moment. Um, but I also think it's, it's just so important and it's really been a way in which people who felt at the margins in assessment conversations have, have, Felt that they've been moved to the center because the the different perspective that they bring is so needed. And um, so I, I think anytime that we can lift other people up is probably the favorite thing to, to be working on for awesome. me. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you so much for the great conversation and the, the deep dive in music. Who knew? Yeah. Right? <laughs> And we also have some exciting upcoming assessment-related events coming up. Erin, what do we have? Well, from February 11th to 13th, we have the AACNU Conference on General Education, Pedagogy, and Assessment. This year's theme is Embracing the Best Emerging Practices for Quality and Equity. And March 26th is the NEAN Dialogues in the Disciplines. The theme is Assessing Experiential Learning Now and When with a keynote speaker, Dr. Donna Qualters. From April 5th to 9th, the Higher Learning Commission will have its annual conference virtually this year. The theme is Crisis and Community with keynote speakers, Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Dr. Sarah Lewis. From April 29th to 30th is the Assessment Matters Regional Community College Assessment Conference and it's virtual and free through Johnson County Community College and registration is now open. From May 10th and 11th, we have the Higher Education Assessment Conference hosted by the New, by New England College. The theme this year is Hindsight is 2020, Quality Assessment Amid Chaos and Change. And the keynote speaker will be Dr. Denise Mitten. May 24th through the 28th is the Association for Institutional Researches Forum, the annual conference for air. And last but not least, from June 7th through 11th, we will have our own ALHE annual conference. It's online again this year, and our theme is E3, Exemplars, Encores, and Enigmas. Proposals are due February 7th, and registration for the conference is currently open. We're especially looking for great examples of disciplinary assessment. What's working at your schools in particular fields or subject areas? And for our AALHE members, we have active board nominations who are, are open. Uh, so please get those nominations in by Monday, Fe February 15th for people to be considered for the board. So I'm looking forward to a really impressive roster of candidates for the year. 
You can nominate someone that you think will be great um, and who will contribute to the board, and that includes yourself, so we are accepting self-nominations. I think Andre and I are also open to anyone who has any questions about what it's like serving on the board, as we are both members currently. And you'll notice that we don't have a sponsor for this episode or our series yet. So if you or someone you know is interested and being considered to be a sponsor for future Assessment Works episodes, then please get in touch with us at podcast at aalhe.org. It's a super exciting opportunity, and we've been really pleased by all of the people who have been downloading our episodes, and we appreciate the support. So thank you. We have some new exciting new podcasts in the works for you. Next, we will be talking to Dr. Gina Polychronopoulos and Dr. Emily Klukas-Liederman about the RARE model for building connections in assessment. There's also a new APHIS community, which you can check out. Um, It's free, and they've got all kinds of resources for assessment practitioners. One thing their calendar shows is that they have several online yoga sessions. So, Awesome. Yeah, and the APHIS community is really fun. You can get some you can get points by doing things like going to different sessions. So it's free. Check it out. And that's all for this episode of Assessment Works. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to tune in to our next episode, which will be dropping in a few weeks. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us, feel free to send us an email at podcast at alhe.org. We'd also really appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts or other platforms that you listen to Assessment Works on. Your reviews and ratings help other people find our podcast, and we want to share the assessment love. That's all for this episode. See you later.